All right, so, where we left off. Peter, John, they heal a man. Peter takes the opportunity and starts to preach, and 5,000 people get saved. Peter and John go to jail. They spend the night there. And the rulers and the elders and the scribes, they, uh, the high priests, they couldn't keep Peter and John there in prison for fear of all the crowds, all those new believers, their Jewish brothers. They were afraid of them, so uh, they let them go. So here we are, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for just uh, the history here that you put down. Lord, we thank you, God, that we could look to it, Lord, to see the early church and its foundations, Lord, to see the work that you did, and, and Father, just how wonderful it is to know, Lord, that you're still doing a work in your church today. We pray, Father, that you go before us. And again, we thank you, Lord, for the fellowship, for the worship, the time to get together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts 4.23 through 37, that's the end of the chapter. Verse 23 says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And last week we talked about that, what they did to them. Right? So they ran, Peter and John ran home to hide in fear, right? <laughs> no. Nope. What'd they do? They ran to their companions to talk about it, right? To report everything. Um, so, before we get into this, I want to share a little bit about something here. The closeness, the connection of friends. We see that in verse 1 right here. Uh, it's something that has uh, been a blessing to me throughout the years. I have friends from where I used to work. I have friends from school. I have friends from college. I have friends from high school still that I talk to every now and then. But it doesn't compare to the fellowship, the friends, my Christian friends in the Lord, the fellowship of believers. And for me, this was crucial in my life, especially as a new born-again Christian. These friends of mine, some of them, uh, they've moved far away, uh, and others are very close to me still. They're close by. I don't want to say any names, Mickey, but he's close by. See, distance makes no difference. You could be close by, you can be far away. I mean, I was just doing a video call with a friend of mine who moved up to Santa Maria. We got saved in high school, and we still talk. The, this is a specific moment that we shared together. We all got saved. And that's a special thing, a special bond that all of you share coming here to this church. And maybe it's not uh, so clear, you know, when we got saved um, or even how it all happened. 
I think some people have a real definite conversion where a wave came and knocked them down and just changed their life forever. And mine wasn't like that. I wasn't even too sure I was saved. I was just moving along. I grew up in church, so, you know, I had profound scriptures going in one ear and out the other, you know, but um, I got saved. I was just talking to Andre about that. Um, but anyway, we're, we're saved now. And so we can share in this born again experience here, all of us together. Um, and, um, much like Peter and John, we could run to our Christian friends and pray for one another, lift each other up, share with one another what the Lord has done in your life, what he's doing in your life. Cause there's things happening to you. I have no idea what's going on, but I mean, we could pray about it and um, there are amazing things going on. If you, if you pray with one another, share with one another what's happening in your lives. Anyway, let's get back to Acts 4.23. Oh, we did 4.23. Right? We read that. Um, the first church... And at the moment, the only church, this is the only church, the only Christian church in the whole world right here. It's happening. It's starting right here. Verse 23 in the book of Acts on the entire planet, this one church at this time in the book of Acts and uh, it's history in the making. And I don't know about you, but if you feel like uh, you've witnessed something historical in your life, you remember it. Uh, maybe some of you have been part of something historical like um, in this country. Maybe you fought a war. Maybe you were something historical in the city or maybe in your schools. Definitely in your families because you guys got saved. My grandma, she made, she made history because she changed my family forever. She was the first one to get saved in my family. In Mexico, she got saved. And then she started praying for her husband, my grandfather. Then he got saved. And the kids, they pulled him out of the Catholic Church. And then they got saved. My mom married somebody who got saved, who was saved. And so he became a pastor. It just goes on and on and on. Now I'm here. It just keeps going. History in the making. In your lives right now. With what you do in your life. Anyway, we begin to see something amazing happening here with the first church believers. Not only are they getting saved and giving their lives to Christ, which is amazing, right, in and of itself, but the new Christians begin to have a boldness, this strength that's in them. It, it's something uh, in them that the world uh, sees, and definitely what the Jewish culture at the time starts to notice. It makes them, it makes them different. There's something different about these, these Jewish believers. Like, just like you guys, there's something different about you. You changed. <clears throat> the way you think, your thoughts, the things that come out of your mouth, for sure, you know, that, that would change. That born-again experience that I mentioned. The new you. Do you have a new you? It gives you boldness. That strength that these guys have. And maybe not necessarily to preach, although, you know, that may happen, but to witness to all those around you. 
at your work, at your school, at your gym, everywhere, even here at church, the way you conduct yourself, the things that you do, the manner of which you speak. Remember that song, They Will Know We Are Christian by Our Love. <laughs> it was a real famous song. You know, that was written by a, a priest. <laughs> it's real famous. This love uh, the Holy Spirit gives. This love is not just given, it's poured out. You know, it's like, not like a cup of water, someone's just giving you a cup of water. They took a pitcher and poured it out on you. The water is just pouring out all over you. That's God's love. <clears throat> Romans 5, 5 tells us, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit is pouring out that love. Everyone should see it. Because you had water poured out all over you, there's going to be a big mess all over. Everyone's going to see it. Your mother's going to yell at you, go pick that up, go, go, go clean that up. That Holy Spirit's going to be all over and everyone will see it. It's going to make a difference, a big difference. All right, verse 24. So when they heard that, uh, we're talking about the report, right? So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. They looked back at what had happened and they gave glory to God. Because it's pretty uh, new in their heads. They saw what happened last time. They saw what happened to Jesus. They were probably all hiding or scared. Here goes Peter. Here goes John. They're going to get crucified next. They gave glory to God. Is there anything in our lives that we could look back on and give glory to God? I think if we look in retrospect, we could probably find something. We will find like they did. That God is God. All of a sudden... Here are these Jewish believers. They believed in God all their lives. But suddenly they said, God is God. Wait a minute, He is God. Yeah. So starting in verse 25 and 26, they start quoting this psalm. It's a messianic psalm. They've heard it a lot. In verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage? And the people plot vain things. Verse 26. The kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. The new Jewish believers had a new understanding of the scriptures. Crazy. They knew all of this. They, they've read this before. They had these writings for hundreds of years. Yet now there was a new meaning because of Jesus. They saw the full and real meaning now in the scriptures. They're showing here this spirituality now uh, with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they're using the scripture and weaving it into their prayers. Wild. This psalm is... Uh, um, it's a kingdom age psalm. 
the new Christians in Jerusalem, they make a connection that part of this psalm is seen in their very circumstance right here with Peter, with, uh, with John. They're amazed by it. Why don't we read it? Let's go open our Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. It's amazing, actually. There's only 12 verses, so we can go through it quickly. This uh, Messianic psalm is divided in four parts. It's very poetic. Four parts, three verses each. But the psalms are very poetic. So Psalm chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, Why do the nations rage? Right? This is their quote. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. We hear right here the voice of the world against the Lord. And the new believers in Jerusalem heard this happen firsthand, right? They saw it. And now realizing prophecy had taken place in their presence, they saw the priests and the rulers screaming at Pilate that they would not have Jesus as their king. No, no. They plotted against him. They wanted him crucified. They were screaming that, right? Crucify him. We'd rather take the murderer, let him free. They saw this happening. The world, the voice of the world, right here in Psalm chapter 2. And then they hear the voice of the Father in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. The Father is kind of laughing at their feeble plans. Of the world trying to stop his will. The world trying to stop his will. He's like, come on guys, really? God's king is already set. God says it in past tense. Like it's done already. What are you guys trying to do? Even though it's funny to see how the world thinks that they can outsmart God. And it still, it saddens him. To see them in this way. As any father sees rebellious children. And it should be comforting to know that all that we see happening in the world today, God is in control. The world schemes against His will. You think they're just scheming against conservative idealism. No, they're scheming against His will. They're scheming against the laws, the politics, the religions of the world. But they can't change God's plans. They can't. And then in verse 7, we hear the voice of the Son. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The son, he says, it's a done deal. The day is coming. The day is coming when Jesus is going to reign. 
He's going to set up his kingdom. He will rule the nations. He will judge. They can't stop it. And then we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit pleading to men to get right with God. Verse 10. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. And his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. It's a picture of a king putting his hand out to the servants. You know, kiss my hand, humble yourself now, because you just get me just a little bit mad. I'm wiping you out. But he said, Blessed are you, all those who put your trust in him. Do you have your trust in him? In Christ Jesus. The world is going to oppose us. But all the more we can proclaim God's remedy for sin is Jesus. It's done. Let's go back to Acts. Acts chapter 4. Verse 12 now. He says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. All right. I had to read that verse because if we put our trust in him, there's no other name we could put our trust. It's the name of Jesus. All right. Uh, we went too far forward. Let's go to where we left off. Verse 27. Acts four twenty-seven. For truly... Against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Verse 30. By stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done. Through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So that finishes off their prayer there. As they were all in one accord. They were all praying together this thing. In verse 29. uh, That they may speak your word. Preach. And share the scriptures. In verse 30. That God would stretch his hand out and heal. Not their hands, his hand. And wonders may be done through his name. Not through their ministries and not through their church or not through their names. Through his name and no other. Uh, One little note on verse 28. Uh, We read something very interesting right there. Whatever your hand, it says, whatever your hand, your purpose determined before. The world will scheme and plan, right? And instead of God fighting it, the world realizes that God was actually writing it. God was in it the whole time. 
His purposes are going to be done. They think that they're planning all this stuff. And God knows. God sees it happening. This one uh, commentator, I forgot what he said, but he said it's kind of like a wave. And the world thinks they have this wave that's going to wipe out God. But God's riding, surfing on top of the wave. He's got it all in control. I thought that was interesting. Acts 4, let's go to 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So in answer to their prayer, God shakes up the place. It's not an earthquake like throughout the whole land. He just said he shook that place where they were assembled together. Just that place to answer their prayer. Just where they were meeting. So you know, uh, they, they, they can't explain it by, uh, by science. This is a God thing. And he fills once again a new filling of the Spirit like in chapter 2. But just a little different. To speak the word with boldness. Have you ever spoke the word in boldness? Did they pray for protection in their prayer? Because these are dangerous people. They... They crucify, they put people to death, they beat them up, they, they whip them, they put them in prison. But you notice they didn't pray for any protection. They asked for power. <laughs> Remember when the uh, Samaritan village, uh, they wouldn't receive Jesus and his disciples in Luke chapter 9? And James and John, they asked Jesus, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus says, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. And Jesus tells them he, want, he wants them saved. He doesn't want to destroy them. And so we see a, a definite change here in their, in their thought, in their hearts. They didn't ask for that kind of protection they they asked for power and now they're filled with the holy spirit and now they want the things that jesus wants to save them and now they get it they finally get it and their will is aligned with his will remember what jesus said about being as one in john chapter 17 and I'm beginning to believe that it's a, it's a wonderful thing for the Lord to see his children together as one, with one heart, praying to him, singing to him like we just did, with one heart to him. Isn't that what we do when we gather together as a church to study his word? We're all studying the same scripture. When we're worshiping, we're singing these songs, we're all singing the same songs, using the same words. With one voice to him. I'm getting the, the idea God likes that. He likes to see his children worshiping him together. I love to see my children together. We, had, we just had Father's Day. 
And we went to see my dad and uh, we went to get the car and my wife and I are sitting in the car and I'm moving the car and I see my two boys, they're walking because they're going to they're gonna get in my older boy's car and they're walking together and I'm going, man, those are my two boys, they're together. They're not fighting. <laughs> I love it. How much more does our father love to see us together? Amazing. John 17, 21 tells us that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me. That's Jesus talking. And I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. The world is going to believe as the example that you see as a church when you guys gather together. The community sees you guys walking into this place. That parking lot full, the sidewalk crowding up as people get in. Somebody was asking me, hey, how do you like it on the weekdays? You know, there's, there's no one here. And I go, yeah, I don't like it. I, it. I get so excited. I see everyone coming and everybody's here and everybody's just happy to be the, together. It's, it's wonderful. The kids are over there. They're having a good time. The gym, they're in there having a good time. We're in the sanctuary having a wonderful time worshiping the Lord, hearing the scriptures, and just, it's great. We're one as we believe. And the world sees that. And they, they say, man, there's something, there's something about those weirdos over there on Colorado Boulevard. Something about them. I'm going to go check it out. As we grow closer and closer to Christ, as we allow the Holy Spirit into our lives, we align our will with His perfect will. Our will is not perfect, but we align our will with His. And people are going to see that. People are going to get saved. Because of your life, the things that you do, your example, they're going to see Jesus. I remember a couple of years ago, I did this study on, uh, on, it was a character study based on um, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the little guy. And he hit up on, he was, he was up on a tree because he wanted to see Jesus and Jesus called him to his home. And I did this study and um, I thought it was terrible. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was just going through it and... Man, like two years later, this guy comes up to me. He's like, man, I remember that study you did. Oh, it was such a blessing, man. I'm like, praise God. I'm like, serious? <laughs> wow. But that's God. He takes it. Just be faithful. Just put your will, align it with his. He's going to do the rest. People are going to see Jesus in your life. You don't even know it. All right. Um... We go to verse 32 through 37, and this kind of closes out this chapter here. It's almost like this culmination, this, this apex, if you will, some, uh, like some of these greatest moments in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the results of this love that we're seeing here. Um, and the beginning of... Uh, a warning. We get to see a beginning of a warning. Uh, I'll, get, I'll, I'll explain to you more about that later. All right, verse 32. 
Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, like we said, they were all one, one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. That was very unique. That had to be written down. That was, that's a crazy thing. They, we have to take notice of that. When hearts are so on fire for the Lord and they're kindled like to love one another, this love, it kind of manifests itself in things like, like giving. You love somebody, you want to give some, something to that somebody. You love that person. And these people were all in one heart and one soul and they're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Their lives are changing and they just wanted to give. And so... Uh, it says here that they, uh, like they gave up all their possessions. Isn't that crazy? They just, nobody was out there saying, mine, 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 mine. No, no, go take it. It was like this absence of selfishness. It, it didn't exist. It, like it was erased. It's something hard for us to understand. Because here in our society, we possess many things. Cars, houses our clothes, expensive shoes. I mean, to just give all those up, our money, our jobs, careers. They like, they had an absence of selfish possession. It, it, it needed to be pointed out here. In verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. The resurrection of Jesus. Some of these people saw it. They were there. They saw him hanging on that cross. They saw him bleeding. They, they saw the, uh, the trial, the, the illegal trial, the stuff they did at night. Some of them were probably some of the ones that were screaming, crucify him. They gave witness to the resurrection. And all the people who didn't see it, they, they heard about him. Great power was given to them. And not only that, great grace. This grace, it's unmerited divine assistance. They had this divine spiritual help to do all this. It was great it was powerful. Verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. Nobody was lacking anything. For all who were possessors of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each one, to each as anyone had need. Isn't that amazing? So if you want to do that, just write your check to Sam Tirado. Uh No, I'm just kidding. That's amazing. Sell, they would sell their homes, their possessions. I mean, what if they had jewelry, gold, and stuff like that? Their land. They sold it. And they brought the money to the apostles' feet. 
and the apostles distributed it. This selfish, this absence of selfishness, it like they took it to the next level. Not only was it, you know, this is mine, you can have it, but you know what, I'm going to sell my house because those people over there need help. It, they must have been in some dire straits here where somebody may have felt, you know what, I, should, I have a lot over there, I, I, should, I should sell it. Because those people are suffering and they're my brothers and they're my sisters in Christ. I can make do with just something small and just give it all away. This is something that was led, they felt led by the Holy Spirit to do this. And this was this love, this giving love they had. Amazing. A loving desire to give and to share. Volunteering to give. The people did this as they were led. And no one told them to do this. But only as the Spirit led. And who did this? The multitude did this. Not just one person. The multitude did this. The Bible is not saying that we have to do this. I know you're relieved now. Okay. No, we don't have to do this. They did it as it was necessary for the moment. As they were of one heart, of one soul, together. They saw the family and they just wanted to give. And like again, I say, it makes me think that the need, the need that was there must have been great. Must have been a great need. Many of us have things, houses, cars, boats, money. But as the Lord leads you, He allows you to, to give. And it's this love that you have that you give. It's ministered to you by the Holy Spirit. And you never hear Xavier do a study on making sure you give 10%, you know. And by the way, I remember uh, listening to a study from Pastor Dan Finfrock. He was saying how uh, the 10% thing, that's, uh, that's Old Testament. He goes, you don't have to give 10% anymore. That's Old Testament. That's, that's Old Covenant. You guys are on the New Covenant. You guys don't have to give 10% anymore. He goes, but you know what? Here's the bad news. You don't have to give 10%. You have to give it all. He gave it all to you. Everything that we have, He gave it all to us. We owe it all to Him. In His grace, His great grace, He gives us all these things and we could share as the Lord leads or you can enjoy it as God has given it to you. The blessings that uh, you have, they're yours. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. We come in close to the end here. And uh, Joseph, who's, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
So there is one person they want to talk about. I mean, the multitude was doing this, but this one guy who the apostles decided to change his name to Barnabas because he was such an encouraging guy. They just, this guy is encouraging. Your name is Barnabas from now on. He decided he was going to sell his property and took all the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, why would this be important for us to know? Well, I looked into it for you. I'm glad you asked. In Numbers 18:20, it tells us the Levites weren't supposed to have land or property. Remember, we we um, recently I did a, a a study on Samson, and he was to be a Levite. And uh, one of the things about the Levites was they're not supposed to have property. They're not supposed to own property because they're the ones that are the priests. And they're the ones doing the sacrifice. And God said, no, you guys live here with me. You're the priests. I will take care of you. You won't need a portion out there with them. God says, I will be your portion. Hang on to me, you priests, you Levites. And they had a good thing because they were taken care of by the temple, by the people. And they had food when the sacrifices came and God was taking care of the Levites. God wanted to take care of them. Very much like the pastors here. You see that. Everything you give and the offerings here and stuff, that's to take care of the church, to take care of the pastors, to take care of the events, everything that goes on. It's for you. So this man was a Levite. And he had property. What was he doing with property? But even uh, during my study of Samson, we see the book right before it, Joshua. And the very, very last verse of Joshua, you start seeing the compromise of God, God's command. The very, very last verse of Joshua, 2433. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. He was a priest. And they buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. What? Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the Levite, was given property. He had a hill that belonged to him. Okay, maybe he didn't buy it. It was given to him. But what was he doing with it? The compromise already started back in Joshua. The priests here are, are starting already to own land. And God said, no, I want you to, I will be your portion. Rely on me, trust in me. And so maybe there's a long line of tradition and property that's now that belongs to the priests. And even, uh, I mean, for sure, during the days of Jesus, these, these priests, they, they loved having things and they were rich. Perhaps, and wouldn't it be awesome to think that the land pointed out to us in Joshua was the same land that was given back at the apostles' feet. Maybe Barnabas, he kind of knew this, that as a Levite, 
And maybe the Holy Spirit ministered to him as he now has the Holy Spirit and he's reading and he's like, I'm a Levite, I'm not supposed to have land and, and these people have nothing and I'm going to sell this, get rid of it. Maybe he was putting right a wrong that was long overdue. Again, something that can only be done with the Holy Spirit. Amazing. So now here's that warning I was telling you about. That kind generosity, that kind love, that unselfish love, that kind giving that they're all experiencing here, it makes all around, everyone all around, observe. And to glorify God for sure. But also is going to attract those who want that kind of recognition. You know, if you ever go camping, um, and we used to go camping a lot, but not anymore. We're, we're kind of done with camping. But we used to go camping a lot, and, and we would take out the meat, and we'd go barbecue or something, and the food is, is, you could smell it. Oh, man, it's great over the fire. And you go, you put it on the table. Always, no matter, it never fails. Not the flies, the bees and the wasps. They were nowhere to be found before. But now all of a sudden, here they come, and you're trying to sit there, eat your food, and you're like, oh, get away. You know, these, these big old wasps and bees come around. And yeah, some flies, and then the ants come around. And crazy. You're going you're gonna to cook something nice and, and, and really good. You better believe it's going to attract some people. This other time we went camping, and we were, um, we were with some friends, and we were in this real crowded boating area. And so we were all parked really close together with all these other people, strangers and stuff. But, and they all had like cereal for breakfast and, and just maybe a, a, a muffin or something. But my buddy who had the RV who drove us there, he loved to cook. So he came out with his grill and he was making chorizo con egg, you know, eggs and bacon and sausages. You should have seen the neighbors. Ooh, mm, you're know, like, oh man, look at that. That guy knows how to camp. It just attracts around. All this kindness, all this goodness is pouring out like crazy. People are going to look. People are going to smell it. It's so wonderful. But you're going to get the flies. You're going to get the, uh, the wasps. You see, the enemy, he tried to stop the Christians from outside sources, right? The priests and everything, they tried to stop them, tried to threaten them, it didn't work. Put them in prison, it didn't work. And the enemy will try from, uh, from the outside, but uh, now the enemy is going to try from the inside. He, he, the devil's a smart guy. He doesn't give up. You think he gave up, but no. He's, he's going on to the next plan. And we're going to see in chapter 5, and that's the warning I'm telling you about. All this kindness, all this goodness. But that's for next week with our brother, Don Thomas. As we love, we may give. But greatest of all your giving should be your life. Your life to the Lord. He gave his life for us. And so we give our lives to Him.
We're going to get ready to pray right now, but I'm going to ask these guys to come on back so we can worship one more time. But there's this, uh, there's this song, it's a hymn, written by a, a Scottish minister, hymn writer. He died, um, he must have been in his 50s, late 50s when he died in 1906. He wrote this, uh, this hymn. Um, and uh, this one portion of the chorus, it goes like this. O oh, love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer and fuller be. It's amazing that this guy would write this. He went blind when he was in his early 20s while he was engaged and his wife said, oh, I can't be married to a blind guy and left him, I mean his fiance, and left him. And he was still in seminary school when this happened. He continued on to ministry. He never remarried. But he continued on and he later in his life wrote that song. And there are many, many verses about But what a guy sold out for the Lord no matter what. Even in the hardship and the pain. That's why he says that. I rest my weary soul in thee to the Lord. To give back the life that he owes. And we all owe this life to him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your word. And God, just for allowing us to gather together as your children, as a family, Lord, to just love you and to be one soul and one heart, one mind, Lord, and, and focused on you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for the example and the writing of this history of your early church, the things that happened, the wonderful things that go on. And Lord, that these things can happen here with us, in this church, in the church that we go to, or other churches, wherever we go. Lord, that we would give our lives to you, Lord, and that others would see it and would get saved. And hopefully, with that pouring of your Holy Spirit, have that boldness to actually say something and speak up for you live our lives for you and so we thank you lord for these studies and for uh, the tuesday nights and lord for the youth group and uh, just all that you do we, we pray lord that you would guide and protect us lord we thank you in jesus name amen